Welcome to Strong Meat for Strong Believers. I'm Pastor Doug Johnson. I want to invite you to join me as we look at the issues facing us today and what God's Word says about them. Hebrews 5, 13 and 14 says, Milk is for babies, but strong meat is for grown-ups who can discern the difference between good and evil. At the end of the broadcast, I'll tell you how you can get a copy of this message for yourself. And now, grab your Bible and get ready for another helping of Strong Meat for Strong Believers. Luke 16, verse 1, And Jesus said also unto his disciples, There was a certain rich man which had a steward, and the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. And so he called him and said to him, How is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest be no longer steward. Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my Lord takes away from me the stewardship. I cannot dig, and to beg I am ashamed. I am resolved what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his Lord's debtors unto him, and said to the first, How much owest thou unto my Lord? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write out fifty. And then he said to another, How much owest thou? And he said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, Take thy bill and write out eighty. And the Lord commended the, the unjust steward because he had done wisely. For the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. And I say unto you, Make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when you fail they may receive you into everlasting habitations. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. If therefore you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, the title of this message this morning is The Good and Wise Steward. And I realize this is Labor Day weekend, and so I want to ask you this morning, do you consider yourself lazy or a laborer? <laughs> Most folks would not even admit to the fact you're lazy unless you're just proud of it. Yeah, I'm lazy, Pastor Doug. I sure am. Most of us would consider ourselves laborers. And, of course, tomorrow is Labor Day. And the thing about Labor Day is it's different from other holidays that we celebrate because it's not devoted to any particular individual. But rather, it is a national tribute to the contributions that workers have made to the strength and prosperity and well-being of our country. In fact, it is so important that on June 28, 1894, Congress met and passed an act making the first Monday in September the legal holiday for it. The U.S. Department of Labor stated, and I quote, It is appropriate that the nation pay tribute on Labor Day to the creator of so much of the nation's strength, freedom, and leadership, the American worker, end quote. And so for all of you workers, we salute you, and tomorrow is your holiday. All the lazy people can go hide. That's not your holiday tomorrow. <laughs> but we thank God for you. And the thing is about work, work is not a curse. I know it feels like that sometimes, but work is not a curse. In fact, some people have said to me, well, you know, uh, Adam was cursed 
you know, and he had to start working from that day forward. Well, no, he was working before the curse was handed down. In fact, if you look at Genesis chapter 1 in your own private devotion time, read the story again in Genesis 1 and 2, you realize that Adam didn't just kick back and enjoy a life of ease in the Garden of Eden. God gave him responsibility. He was responsible for the upkeep of the entire Garden of Eden. He had to cultivate it. He had to trim it. And on top of that, he had to name all the animals in the world. That's a huge job right there. And on top of that, he had to have dominion over them. So he was teaching the dogs how to sit and, and teaching the cats. To, well, you can't teach a cat anything. But, you know, he, was, he had a lot to do. He was working. And, of course, repopulating the earth, too. He was working all the time. So God created man for work. And work is not a curse. But what happened is after they sinned in Genesis 3.19, the Bible says, or God told Adam, by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. And so from that point on, work became harder. All of a sudden, weeds and thorns began to grow now before there were none. And so he was always working, but the curse brought work, made work harder. And so we've been working from the beginning. But a lazy person, a lazy person will thumb their nose at God's command and say, you know, I don't feel like working. Let somebody else earn my keep for me. But I want to say this, barring some kind of injury or physical weakness that prevents you from working, why should somebody else shoulder the responsibility for your well-being when God has declared that we must earn our own keep? And parents, one of the greatest lessons you can teach your children is that hard work is not a bad word. Hard work is great. In fact, it teaches you character and so many other attributes that, will, that you'll need later on in life. And so Labor Day is the day we honor hardworking individuals who show up every day to make honest livings. I don't know about you, but I respect the waiter at the restaurant who takes care of me. I respect the person who delivers the newspaper. I respect the person at the flight desk who tags my luggage and gives me my boarding pass just before they lose my luggage, you know. I appreciate the job they're doing, you know, and they are human. So you got to cut them some slack sometime. So without those good, honest folks, life would be so much harder. You'd have to go to the restaurant and then make your own meal and then fix it yourself and eat it yourself, then tip yourself. I mean, it'd be a whole lot harder. So be good to those who take care of you. And so God bless the honest working men and women. May God bless you. And so this parable... This morning, this is something that God brought to my attention a few weeks ago in my personal devotions. And I started thinking, I said, Lord, this is a powerful word. It, not necessarily maybe a shouting word, but he said, you know, if they get it, they'll start shouting. I thought, okay. But I said, Lord, now when do you want me to preach? And he said, this is when I want you to preach it today. And so in this parable, this story that Jesus told, he illustrates the importance of being an honest worker, and he illustrates it by showing a dishonest steward. The steward in this story tells us that Jesus said that he wasted his master's goods. Now, it doesn't say how he did it. He may have misapplied them or through carelessness may have lost them or damaged them, but the main thought of this story is that Everything the steward was over, the master owned it. The steward was just kind of watching over it for him. And I want to tell you this morning that every one of us today are all stewards of God's things. 
Everything you have has been given to you by the Lord. The Bible says that every good and perfect gift comes down for the Father of lights with whom there is no variation, neither shadow of turning. So my friends, we are all stewards of the Master's things. And I wonder this morning how many of us are guilty of selfishly misusing what God has given us for our own personal needs or gains. Not necessarily needs because God blesses us to meet our needs. But how many times do we misuse what God's given us for our own selfish things? I realize some people are trying to make the world a better place. But it seems like today a lot of people are trying to only look out for themselves trying to gain more because of discontentment and selfishness. Well, brothers and sisters, that's the reason the earth is in the shape it's in today, because we need to band together. And if we all did the right thing with God's things that he blessed us with, the earth would be in a lot better shape. Can I have an amen? And so this steward was called before the master to give an account of what he had heard. And the steward could not deny what he did. He was guilty. And so I want to tell you this morning, I want to remind you that every one of us will give an account to God one day of how we have used or misused God's blessings. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 9, 27, it is appointed a man once to die, but after this, the judgment. You know, the steward's problem was his pride and his laziness because when he was realized he was found out, he said, I cannot dig, and to beg, I am ashamed. That is pride and laziness. He didn't want to dig for a living, and he didn't want to beg for something. He was too proud. Can I tell you something? Everybody needs help sometimes along the way, and there is no shame in asking for help if you truly need help. But I want to tell you, if you let your pride hinder you, pride will always cause you to make the wrong decision. And so this steward, he had made wrong decisions at this point, and now his pride is going to get the best of him again. He says, I'm too, I'm too ashamed to beg. And so here's what he does. He decides to go make friends with his master's debtors so that when he loses his job, he will still have a place to live and he'll have friends who will help him. So he starts calling up all of his master's debtors, and one by one they come to him. And he comes to the first one, the first one, he says, how much do you owe? He says, I owe your master a hundred measures of oil. Now that's a lot of money because oil is pretty valuable even back then. And he said, okay, here, take your bill. Uh, you owe him 50, write out 50. And so he gives him 50 of it. He comes to second one. He said, how much do you owe? He said, I owe him a hundred measures of wheat. He said, okay, we're going to change that to 80. Write out 80 and give him 80. And so this is what he's doing. He's doing it selfishly. But what he's doing, he's kind of doing what collection agencies do sometimes. When you owe them something, a whole lot of money, what they'll do is they'll come and have a do a settlement with you. They will cut down a portion of what you owe to make it more affordable for you, and then they will forgive the rest. So that way they do get something out of it, and it makes it easier for you. And so that's what he was doing. But he was doing it behind his master's back. His master didn't know what he was doing. And so in verse 8... This is the interesting part, and, and a lot of people have questions about this story because of the actions of the steward. And verse 8 says, the master commended the unjust steward because he had done wisely. A lot of people read that and think, now hold on just a minute. He is an unjust steward. What he has done is wrong, and what he just did, he undercut 
his master, but his master is now commending him. That doesn't make any sense. When you're looking at it from the natural, it doesn't. But here's what he's doing. Even though his motives were selfish, the master did not commend his actions. He commended the wisdom he used in getting the money back. You see, he commended his wisdom. He had collected a portion of what was owed to his master from people who weren't paying anything at all. How many of you know 50% of a debt is better than zero of a debt? Okay? 80% of a debt is better than zero of a debt. How many understand that? So the master commended him and how he collected the debt because not his actions but the wisdom he used. And Jesus, it's interesting that Jesus used this story to try to help encourage his disciples to use more wisdom when it comes to the things of this world. And so the point of Jesus is this. The wisdom of worldly people in the concerns of the world is to be imitated by us when it comes to concerns for our soul. Because worldly thinking, their principle is they improve every opportunity that they give. They take a deal when they get it. They take every bargain that gets it. We need to be like that when it comes to our spiritual affairs. We need to take every opportunity that God gives us to think about the future and how we can better our future. Because most of us, once we are saved, we don't think much about heaven, do we, until we are in church or somebody dies. Then we start thinking about heaven. But Jesus said this steward, everything he did in the story, he did thinking about his future. And he said, in this, the children of the world are wiser than the children of the light because most Christians don't think about heaven anymore. And yet Jesus said, that thought is what should be motivating everything you do in this life. It is the wisdom that he used. You see, for though we are told that we must shortly give an account of our stewardship, we as Christians often do not live with heaven in view, but we get so focused on the current moment or our current problem or the current situation that we're facing. We focus so much on the here and now and the temporary that we forget about the future, and in that we are often foolish. Jesus said in Matthew 6, verses 20 and 21, Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust do corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You see, here's the problem. If all we do is focus only on this temporary life, then our heart is going to be connected to this temporary life. And when the trumpet sounds, we're going to say, wait, Jesus, wait, I've still got things I need to do. Jesus doesn't want us as Christians to have anything tying us down to this earth. In fact, we should be about our Father's business. When you go to work, give your employer the best you've got. If it's eight hours, give them the full eight hours. Show up on time. Why? Because it ain't about this moment. It's about eternity. And Jesus said, lay up your treasure in heaven. And Jesus, who is your master, who's given you everything, he gave you the job. He expects you to show up up on time. Oh, y'all sit down now. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. You see, I said, I said, Lord, they're not going to shout. He said, if they get it, they will shout. He said, when they get it, because then the blessings are going to come. I will overtake them with blessings when they begin to focus on me again and not the earth again. Jesus is saying, though you may have little in this world, consider how you may do good with what you have. 
Make good use of your possessions. Because the wisdom of the men of this world is this. They see money as a tool and make it work for them instead of them working for money. That's what this steward was doing. He was looking ahead to his future and trying to figure out how he could make it work for him. You see, that's why people of the world, they take their money and they put it somewhere where they can gain interest from it. That's why they buy land and sell it. That's why they put it in this fund or that fund. They understand. Jesus said we need to learn a lesson. The children of light need to learn a lesson on how to be able to better handle their money in this temporary world, and they can learn this lesson from the people of the world. That's what he's saying. So we should learn how to make good use of what the Lord has entrusted to us. That's why Solomon, who was the richest man who ever lived, wrote this in Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 1. He said, cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. What was he talking about? That is... An illustration of how you're standing on the beach and the waves are going out away from the shore. You start casting your bread on it and bread floats. And then he says, later on, the more you cast out, then when the tide comes back in, the more you're going to have coming in. And that's the way it is when it comes to finances, especially when it comes to the kingdom of God. The more you sow into the kingdom of God, the more he's going to bring back to you. Hallelujah. That's what he's saying here. Now, notice Jesus called the earthly riches unrighteous mammon. That's what he called it, unrighteous mammon. The reason why he called it that is because money cannot save your soul. And those who trust in it for satisfaction and happiness will be deceived by it. Money doesn't buy you happiness. Money cannot buy you peace. Money can buy you a house but not a home. My friend, only Jesus can give you true peace. Only Jesus can give you true joy. And that's why money, even though we all need it, and this is a very personal matter, it's something that we all have to have, and that's why Jesus told this story. But here's the catch that we need to remember. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, Paul said, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. The love of money. You don't have to be rich to love money. You can be as poor as Job's turkey and love money so much that that's all you think about all the time. How can I make more money? How can I do this and how can I do that? The love of money is the root of all evil. That's, what, that's the wrong way to think of money. But we can use money as a tool. That's what it is. It is a tool. You can use it to further the kingdom of God. You can use it to give more to missions and to missionaries. You can use it to save a starving, a starving orphan in Africa. You can use it to help a widow that's in need. Money is a tool, but it can also be your master if you let it. And that's why Jesus is saying, don't let money become your master. If all you're working for is more money, then that money has become your God. And my friend, you'll end up losing everything you have. So Jesus also said this. He encouraged us to make friends with people that are rich. He said, therefore, make friends of those of the unrighteous mammon. Make friends with people that are rich and find out how they make it. Now listen, don't go try to make friends with Bernie Madoff, okay? Don't get caught in a pyramid scheme. That is not what Jesus is talking about. 
Find some legitimate, honest people and befriend them. Why? Because number one, you need to gain wisdom on how to use money to build up God's kingdom. The more you're blessed with it, the more God will hold you responsible for how you use it. You can get more money. You can win the lottery tomorrow and have more money. But if you're still misusing it, it's going to lead you down the wrong path. Jesus wants you to gain wisdom. Befriend rich people and find out how they do it. Tell me your secrets. How do you do it? That's the first reason. The second reason is rich people need Jesus too. Come on, somebody. Rich people need to be saved too. You know, we often hear so much about helping the poor. When was the last time you helped a rich person? Well, Pastor Doug, rich people don't need help. Really? Maybe not the way you think, but they still need Jesus. And that is the, you see, that's the problem. We think only materially in this life. And Jesus, I want you to think about me and eternity. It ain't just about your eternity. It's about everybody's eternity around you. And when you get so focused only on your needs and right now, you forget about everybody else around you who's lost. And Jesus is telling us in this story, he says, make friends of the unrighteous mammon. Make friends with rich people. Because the last time I read the Bible, it said Jesus died for everybody. And when you lead them to Christ, then they'll receive you into everlasting habitations. That's what Jesus is saying. He said, when you fail, because we're all going to fail, we're all going to die one day. Then when you die, they will receive you into everlasting habitations. Why? Because you took the time out. You cared enough about them. You weren't after their money. You wanted to befriend them and tell them about Jesus. Then you wanted to find out how to be a better steward of your money and how they did it. You're not after their money. You just want to befriend them and know what they know. Hallelujah. That's wise. Because if you can learn from somebody else, how many know that's wisdom? Hallelujah. Paul said this in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. Friends, this is the help that the rich people need. And if Christians don't befriend them and tell them, who will? If those who know Jesus keep shunning them and telling and acting like they're the plague and we can't have nothing to do with you, who's going to tell them about Jesus? Or if you do try to tell them and you've been shunning them the whole time, they think Jesus feels that way about them. And what kind of a message are we sending? Brothers and sisters, Jesus loves everybody. Can I have an amen? You know, most of the time, we think more about earthly needs than eternal needs. We're often guilty of showing favoritism and making excuses for the poor because we feel sorry for them. And I'm not bashing the poor. I'm just saying we focus more on one than the other, and that's not what Jesus wants us to do. But I have learned that there are a lot of con artists out there exploiting people, acting like they're poor when they're really not. And we need to have discernment. Come on, somebody. The devil is a liar. So when you do help somebody, make sure they are in legitimate need. And here's something else. The Bible actually teaches us that we are not to show favoritism to the rich or to the poor when it comes to right and wrong. 
The Bible says this in Leviticus 19.15. You shall do no unrighteousness in judgment. Thou shalt not respect the person of the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. Can I tell you something? God's laws apply to everybody. Sin is sin. Doesn't matter who does it. If you're rich, if you're poor, if you're middle class, sin is still sin. And we've got to judge righteously. I know couples who have said that they're, they're going to live together and won't get married because if they do, one of them will lose their check. Shacking up is still sin. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, why don't you trust God with your life? Let him show you how to use money as a tool. Be a good steward of what he's given you, and then watch how he blesses you. If you're going to get married, get married, because God can bless marriage, but he don't bless sin. I wish I had an amen right there. Oh, Pastor Doug, they're not going to come back next week. Listen, while I got you, I want to tell you the truth. I love you. I love you. Jesus loves rich and poor. He loves every social class. He, he loves every skin color. He loves everybody. And we are to love them too. So why is this important? Why did even Jesus tell this story? Here's why. Look at again at verse 10. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. Money is a test. It is a test of your priorities. Earthly riches are the least important things. What we value here, God does not value in heaven. Here's an example. Gold is one of the most valuable things to us. God uses it as pavement in heaven. The streets are paved with gold. What we value is asphalt to the Lord. Brothers and sisters, we're valuing the wrong things. What is valuable to God? A sinner saved by grace. Seeing the lost saved. That's when the angels rejoice, not when you get a pay raise. But here's the thing. When you start prioritizing what God prioritizes, then he will bless you and meet your needs. Why? Because now you care about what the master cares about. Instead of being an unjust steward, you're now being a good and wise steward. You see, God is watching how faithful you are with the least important things before giving you greater things. Look at verse 11. If therefore you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, that's earthly money, who will commit to your trust the true riches? Jesus saying, he that serves God and does good with his money will serve God and do good with greater things as well. But he that is buries his talent, he that misuses what God has given, will lose even what he has and not be trusted with even greater things. Some of you have been praying for God to give you a financial miracle and you're wondering why God's not trusting you. My friend, it could be because you may have been misusing what God's already blessed you with. Brothers and sisters, because one day we're all going to die and we can't take none of it with us, but we can send it up ahead of us. What? 
Now, how does that work, Pastor Doug? You do it by using it for God's glory, using it for building up his kingdom, seeing people saved. That's how you send it up ahead of you because everything you do for God, it is not wasted. Hallelujah. Instead of giving God's money to the Home Shopping Network, give it to missions where people can be saved. Come on, somebody. Oh, it's getting quiet in here. You know, it's amazing how much stuff we accumulate without even realizing how much stuff we have accumulated until you start moving and having to pack it all up. Then you think, oh my goodness, where did this stuff come from? But here's the thing. We accumulate so much stuff and then we complain like we don't have anything. And God is listening to us. Our master who gives us all good things is listening to what we say and do. And he's thinking, oh, if they would just wise up and use what I've given them better, then I can trust them with more. But because they've misused what I gave them, I can't trust them with anything right now. You know, everybody wants what belongs to them, right? If you're owed something, you want it, amen? Come on, somebody. That's the reason we get up and go to work every day for the paycheck. Come on now. We want what's coming to us. Absolutely. That's the reason we go to work every day so we get the paycheck. That's the reason we go to school, young people, so that one day we can get a good job and provide for ourselves. Absolutely. My son, Corey, is a saver. You know, there's usually two types of people. You've got spenders and you've got savers. Corey is a saver, and I'm not going to say anything about Lauren. She's somebody else's responsibility now. <laughs> Hallelujah. But Corey is a saver. He's a saver. Now, I say this because parents want to tell you this story, and it's for the kids too. But, I, but we found out Corey is a saver. He's a saver. And, and, and one day, years ago, he was complaining about going to having to go to school. I said, Corey, listen. I said, look at it. I said, you're looking at it all wrong. I said, look at it this way. Look at it like this is your job right now. And I said, you go and you apply yourself. You make good grades. I said, one day, they will pay you when you're ready to go to college. He said, what? I said, they will pay you. They will give you money. When you graduate and ready to go to college, now we know it's called scholarships and grants, but I'm but they pay you. And when he heard that, his eyes opened up, and my friend, he has never looked back since. I'm telling you, it's all how you see it. We all want what's coming to us, amen? That's the reason why we put forth the effort, because we want what's coming to us. Now here's what Jesus said in verse 12 about what's coming to you. Listen close, verse 12. If you have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who will give you that which is your own? If you have misused what belongs to somebody else, now remember, God owns it all. Everything you have, God's given it to you. If you have misused what belongs to God, how do you expect God to give you what's coming to you? And if you're working for somebody, if you go in late all the time to work, if you're always making if you're always calling in sick, even when you're not sick, always trying, always giving the bare minimum, if you are not faithful in what belongs to somebody else, how do you expect somebody to honor you when it comes time for you to own a business of your own? How do you expect you to get what rightfully is coming to you when you have not honored what belongs to somebody else? 
That's why, brothers and sisters, Christians show up on work for work on time. They give their best effort in everything they do. When they leave a job, they leave on good terms. And bosses should want to hire Christians, not dread hiring Christians. I wish I had an amen in here. When people look at your resume and find out you're a Christian, they should know that Christians keep their word. Christians get work harder than anybody else. Christians give them a full day's work every single day. Why? Because it ain't about this moment. It's about the master who gave you that job, who gave you the clothes on your back, who gave you your kids and your wife and your husband and the, and the car you have. Everything you've got came from Jesus. And when you realize the master owns it all you start working for him I wish somebody would give God praise for his blessings that you already have (laughs) see that's what God said when they get it they will shout hallelujah brothers and sisters we need to change the way we see things and I'm closing with this Jesus summed it all up this way in verse 13 he said you cannot serve God and money You can't have two masters. You will cling to one and despise the other. You cannot have two masters. It's all about priorities. Either money and things is your God or Jesus is your God. It can't be both. And so I ask you this morning, what are you living for? What are you consumed with? What are your thoughts consumed about Monday through Saturday? Well, Pastor Doug, I want to be a good steward, so how do I start? Here's how you start. You start by acknowledging that God owns it all and you are simply a steward of his things. Commit everything you have to God and ask him for wisdom to handle it faithfully. If you really want to find out where your priorities are, look at your checkbook. Look at your checkbook. Look at what you spent your money on last month. Your checkbook will tell you. It will show you what your priorities are because the things you spend your money on is important to you. Your checkbook don't lie. And guess what? When we stand before God, He knows the whole record. He knows everything we've done with what He's given us, not just materially, but even the health He's given us, everything, the friends He's given us, the people around us. My friends, don't spend more time, more energy and, and, and money and thoughts on this present life. Think about the future. That's what Jesus said we could learn from the unwise steward. He did all these things. He was commended for his wisdom because he was thinking about his future. Brothers and sisters, think about your future. One last verse, Ecclesiastes 2.26 says this, For God gives to a man that is good in his sight wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner he gives travail to gather and to heap up that he may give to him that is good before God. Those of us who are seeking the Lord and putting him first, he will give you wisdom, he'll give you knowledge, and he will give you joy. Things that money cannot buy you. Hallelujah. And to those who are misusing it, God will take from them and give it to those who are following the Lord. Hallelujah. Because, friends, what you've got now is not all you're going to get. It's just a test to see if you can handle it wisely.
This has been Strong Meat for Strong Believers. If this broadcast was a blessing to you, I would love to hear from you. You can email me at revivalfire29 at yahoo.com or call me at 964-5333 and visit Raven Assembly of God's website at ravenag.org and find out more information about our church. This is Pastor Doug Johnson reminding you to keep your head up. God is on your side. And join me next time for more Strong Meat for Strong Believers.